This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Arthur Snell. A major war is taking place on the European continent with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, bringing you a series of special episodes to help you understand the crisis as it unfolds. This is Doomsday Watch. Welcome back to Doomsday Watch. We hope you're finding these war bulletins valuable. Quick reminder that you can support our work on the crowdfunding app Patreon from as little as £3 per month. Just search Patreon Doomsday Watch or follow the link in the show notes. Hello and welcome to Doomsday Watch. I'm very pleased to be joined today by Koichiro Matsumoto, an old friend of mine. He's a senior official in the government of Japan. Welcome, Ko. Tell us a bit about your role within the Japanese government. Thank you for having me. I'm a director at the Prime Minister's Office of Japan uh, in charge of global communications. It's an honor to have you with us. And what we try to do on this series of podcasts is give people a wider perspective on the war in Ukraine to help people understand the geopolitical ramifications. So one of the most important aspects of that is the position of Japan. It's one of the world's largest economies. It has a huge population. But also, very importantly, Japan is itself very close geographically with Russia, and particularly in its northern territories and the islands chains of of the uh, Asian landmass. So that is why Japan is a very important player in this story. So I'm going to start with with a very big question. What is Japan's response to the Ukraine invasion? I know that your prime minister attended the G7 summit, which was at the NATO headquarters in Brussels. And what does that tell us about Japan's approach to this crisis? Well, thank you, Arthur. Um, before we go into that, I would just like to say one thing. Like people around the world, we are horrified at what is happening in Ukraine. Our thoughts are with the Ukrainian people, especially innocent civilians who have been caught up in the invasion. And Russia's aggression is an attempt to unilaterally change the status quo by force. Uh, it is an act that undermines the very foundation of not only Europe, but also the interna- international order as a whole. Uh, it is an outrageous act that blatantly violates the international law, and Japan has been condemning it in the strongest terms ever since the very beginning of this invasion. Uh, and yes, Prime Minister Kishida made a trip to Brussels. Uh, for your information, the flight took so much longer than the flights in pre-crisis days. My God, I mean, it, it took us 16 hours to get there because we decided not to fly over Russian territory. If I'm not mistaken, you, you flew on Air Force One. Yes, uh, my my uh, governmental uh, special plane. 
dedicated for the uh, travels like this. Uh, and my prime minister was extremely eager to go to Brussels and uh, meet with the leaders in person, despite this uh, very challenging schedule, even though we are in the era of video conferencing. Uh, why? Because he wanted to send a clear message, which I just outlined, and to show that Japan stands firmly with Ukraine. And if I may explain a bit, a bit about uh, our stance, our, our stance is not just a symbolic one. We have already introduced a comprehensive set of sanctions. For example,、uh, we will revoke Russia's most favored nation status in trade.、Uh, we restrict transactions、uh, with Russia's central bank, and we were also quick to join international efforts to exclude selected、uh, Russian banks from SWIFT. We froze assets of 155 individuals related to the government of Russia, including the Russian president himself, his top aides, and business oligarchs. Uh, and another objective of his visit to Brussels this time was that he wanted to explain to his counterparts the result of his trip he had made to India and Cambodia、uh, several days earlier.、Uh, he sat down with Prime Minister Narendra Modi of India, the biggest democracy in the world with 1.3 billion people, and Prime Minister Hun Sen of Cambodia, who currently chairs the ASEAN.、Uh, and as you're aware,、uh, India abstained from the vote in the United Nations Security Council and General Assembly in light of、uh, Russia's aggression.、Uh, but during Prime Minister Kishida's visit to New Delhi, he invited India to work with the G7. And the two leaders agreed on a joint declaration that states that Japan and India seek a peaceful resolution of disputes without resorting to threat or use of force or any attempt to unilaterally change the status quo. So, Uh, as the only G7 member nation from Asia, Japan will continue to urge Asian countries to work with the G7. So that's where we are. Well,、uh, thank you very much for that clear exposition. And I think that final point that you made there is really interesting and important that, of course, Japan has this unique perspective, the only G7、uh, nation in Asia. As you've mentioned,、uh, the position of India in this conflict has been uh, uh, quite challenging. And、uh, you, know, you noted those abstentions、uh, that India made in various votes in the United Nations. And we had an earlier podcast for those who have not had a chance to listen to it with Professor Harish Pant, expert on India's geopolitical perspective. But let, let's go back to Japan now.、Um, obviously,、uh, Japan is physically very, very far from Ukraine. But what kind of support are you able to offer to Ukraine? Well, in terms of assistance to Ukraine, I think two things stand out. In addition to the humanitarian assistance of 200 million US dollars Japan has announced so far,、uh, first uh, is the, uh, the government decided to provide Ukraine with bulletproof vests, helmets, and winter battle uniforms, i.e., Japan's defense equipment. Well, okay, we're not shipping Javelin or Stinger missiles, but still. Our decision to ship defense equipment to Ukraine was the first time ever, and、uh, it is considered as a major step given the fact that we have a pacifist constitution that bars Japan's engagement with military conflicts,、uh, which are not predominantly directed to Japan.、Uh, second, is that、uh, we are more than ever determined to accept evacuees from Ukraine to Japan.、Uh, we are going to establish in Poland a support team for evacuees from Ukraine.、Uh, in a related move, Uh, we will dispatch an envoy to、uh, Poland in the next days to promote to facilitate the flow of evacuees.、Uh, although we are, as you mentioned, miles apart, 
we will continue to provide the evacuees who wish to evacuate to Japan with all possible uh, support, uh, such as their livelihood assistance in Japan and smooth entry. So that, that's two really interesting uh, developments. In, in terms of the, the support with the defense equipment, just to reiterate, because it seems like a very important point, this is the first time in, in Japan's uh, modern history that, that you have offered such support. Correct. Yes. Uh, it's uh, defense equipment worn by Ukrainian soldiers defending the homeland. Yeah. And I'm very interested also in this question of evacuees because there are possibly some similarities between Japan and the UK as island nations, you know, close to major land masses. And the question of evacuees in the UK has been fairly controversial. Uh, some have said that the British government has not made enough progress on uh, bringing evacuees from, from Ukraine. What, what is your perception of the public opinion about Ukrainian evacuees coming to Japan? Uh, for that matter, we have a, a recent opinion polls uh, saying that the 67% uh, support the government's policy to stand firmly with Ukraine. So the polls sh- uh, also show that the popular support of the prime minister rose by 6% and the approval rate now is 61% according to Nikkei uh, Economic News Group. Um, I think this is uh, quite unusual, uh, bearing in mind that such support entails, as I mentioned, uh, defensive equipment shipping to a war zone, as well as acceptance of evacuees. Uh, And these are probably the two most uh, controversial topics in the political agenda uh, before the crisis began. Uh, And I think this can be explained from two different angles. Uh, One is that... uh, Uh, We attach great importance to universal values such as democracy, the rule of law, and human rights. We know from our experience that uh, when people stop fighting for these values, they give chances and spaces to uh, authoritarian regimes. Uh, As the people in Ukraine are fighting for these values that shape our society today, many Japanese uh, seem to feel that uh, supporting them in any way we can is the only way. And another way to look at it is that uh, we are one of the biggest beneficiaries of international peace and stability, thanks to the steadfast international order. As a beneficiary of the international order, it is quite natural for the Japanese people to feel that we must do something to support Ukraine. In any case, I think countries around the world are given a choice, whether you're going to fight for the universal values that shape the world today, or you deny them, or you pretend that you did not see the events actually unfolding. Japan chose the first option to firmly stand with Ukraine. And the clarity of this policy, I think, is winning support of the Japanese public. What I want to do now is, is go back to a bit of history. And, and uh, this is nice for both of us because uh, we both happen to have studied history in the same place, so which... Uh, some of the listeners will be wondering uh, how you speak such perfect English, and it may be your Oxford education, I don't know. But um, let's talk about the context of Japanese-Russian relations. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, the people in Europe forget that Russia and Japan are only a few miles apart from each other. So perhaps you could talk us through the historic background and in more recent times, 
the complexity of of that that relationship. Yes, this is going to be our favorite part, is it not? Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, you you were at Maudlin, I was at Trinity, uh, reading history, modern history, in University of Oxford. So uh, to start with, um, Russia and Japan are neighbors, and like many neighbors in the world, we have very difficult unresolved issues. Japan is one of the few countries that fought the war against Russia and won, but uh, it, it also has a traumatic experience of being attacked by the Soviet Union under the rule of Joseph Stalin uh, in the final days of the Second World War. Uh, so uh, once again, to start with, Japan won the war against Russia in 1905, owing much to the Anglo-Japanese alliance concluded in 1902. So this was the first alliance in which Great Britain took part, and uh, Britain's intention in concluding a security pact uh, with Japan was to check Tsarist uh, Russia's territorial ambition in Asia and elsewhere. Uh, thanks to this alliance, Japan was able to annihilate uh, Russia's Baltic fleet in the Battle of Tsushima in 1905, and Japan became one of the major regional powers in the world. Uh, well, even though Japan and Britain uh, fought the Second World War in different camps, and I must say it was a very regrettable and terrible decision on the part of Japan, uh, I believe that we have a very deep uh, Anglophile tradition among the Japanese people because uh, Great Britain had uh, helped us out uh, in the time of the uh, national crisis 120 years ago. Fast forward, uh, in April 1941, Japan concluded the Soviet-Japanese Neutrality Pact. Uh, it is said that Stalin was uh, eager to secure the uh, Eastern Front with Japan uh, as the Soviets were faced with a mounting pressure in the Western Front vis-à-vis -vis Nazi Germany. Uh, I don't need to remind the listeners that the conclusion of this pact was two months before Hitler opened fire against Russia, and that is Operation Barbarossa, June 1941. Uh, and August 9th, 1945, at the very end phase of World War II, uh, the Soviet Union declared war on Japan, ignoring the said Soviet-Japanese neutrality pact. Uh, the Soviet Union started invasion of the Kuril Islands, which are located in the uh, northeast of Hokkaido, Japan, uh, after Japan had accepted the Potsdam Declaration, which is an agreement on the terms of surrender. So between August 28th, and uh, September 5th, the Soviet Union occupied all of the northern territories, i.e. the four islands of Etorofu, Kunashiri, Shikotan, and Habomai, and unilaterally incorporated them into the Soviet's territory. Uh, I wish to emphasize that uh, we announced the surrender on 15th of August, 1945, uh, commonly known as a, a victory uh, for Japan Day. Uh, but the Russians continued their military offensive uh, even after Japan's acceptance of the Potsdam Declaration. Going into 1950s, in the San Francisco Peace Treaty of 1951, uh, Japan renounced all rights, title, and claims to the Kuril Islands, but the four northern islands uh, I've just I've already mentioned were never included in the Kuril Islands. Russia illegally occupies the four islands even today. So as a result of the occupation by the Soviet Union, 17,000 Japanese people who lived on the islands were displaced. The four islands, the size of which is almost 2,000 square miles, uh, that is 85 times as big as the Manhattan Island, uh, have been occupied by the Red Army. Uh, and many older generations who were displaced from the four islands, mostly octogenarians and, uh, or older, 
still live in uh, uh, other parts of Japan, uh, not being able to return home. Many uh, Japanese people feel deep sympathy towards the Ukrainians who are forced to leave their homeland as a result of the uh, Russian aggression because they have been through similar experiences. Thank you for that background. I'm sure a lot of people will be hearing this uh, part of the history for the first time. Now, one of the news stories that has sort of unfolded since Russia's invasion of Ukraine has been some kind of cessation of the ongoing negotiations over this question. Now, many people may be amazed to understand that there is ongoing negotiations, that this is still an unsolved issue in international relations. So it would be great if you could explain that to us and also perhaps help us understand, is there a risk of some other conflict there in in Northeast Asia over this question? Yeah, ever since the sovereignty of Japan was restored after the war and uh, we established the diplomatic relations with the Soviets in 1956, uh, we have been urging the Russians to engage in peace treaty negotiations as we believe that illegal occupation of these islands by Russia must be stopped and they must be returned. This month, in light of the current situation, Prime Minister Kishida said that uh, we are not in a position to discuss the prospects regarding the peace treaty negotiations. That said, there is not the slightest change in Japan's position on the Northern Territories, as well as Japan's determination to resolve the issue through a peace treaty negotiation. Uh, I am aware of what the uh, Russian top diplomats are saying about uh, the suspension of the negotiations and so on and so forth. Uh, I cannot speak for Moscow for that purpose, but uh, if you think about it, we are in a situation we, where we are because of uh, Russia's blatant aggression in Ukraine, uh, which is an attempt to unilaterally change the status quo by force, and that is a clear violation of international law. But now they're saying Russia suspends the negotiation because uh, what Japan said or what the Japanese prime minister said, uh, that is grossly unfair. We lodged a strong protest to Russia as Russia is attempting to throw the blame at the Japan-Russia uh, relations. Right. Well, that, that's very helpful. So it sounds like this might be uh, a case study in something people are familiar with, which is uh, Russian disinformation. I'm going to move on now um, to the question of energy imports. Uh, of course, here in Europe, uh, the dependence of certain countries on Russia for energy supplies, particularly gas, has been a major factor in uh, Russia's ability, I think, to uh, to put pressure on European countries. So does Japan have a similar dependency? And, and um, what what is the policy of, of Japan to perhaps try to reduce that? Yes. Um, first, our stance is in line with that of the G7. Uh, This month, the G7 leaders agreed to make further efforts to reduce our reliance on Russian energy while ensuring that we do so in an orderly fashion and in ways that uh, provide time for the world to secure alternative and sustainable supplies. And I'm quoting this from the G7 statement, uh, leader statement. And we will do just that. Uh, In 2021, Japan imported 3.6% of its crude oil and 8.8% of its LNG from Russia. Uh, Well, that is uh, relatively small compared to, for example, Germany, which imports 34% of crude oil and 43% of natural gas for its uh, domestic consumptions from Russia. But 
uh, that is not to say that Japan's path to Russia free economy is an easy one. Uh, acting in accordance with this uh, G7 statement that I uh, just uh, uh, talked about, uh, we will diversify our uh, energy sources to include renewables uh, such as solar and wind, and we will work to reduce our uh, degree of energy dependency on Russia by diversifying our supply sources through investments in energy LNG projects outside Russia. And in this regard, I think nuclear energy is also becoming a rather a promising source of energy here in Japan. Uh, according to the press polls conducted uh, several days ago by Nikkei, for the first time since the Great East Japan earthquake of 2011, uh, the majority of the people are in favor of restarting nuclear power plants, which are verified by the authorities as safe and secure. Uh, uh, to be exact, it was uh, 53% in favor and 38% against. Compare that to the polls in September 2021, which was uh, 44% in favor, 46% against. Now you can feel the impact which the Russian aggression uh, on Ukraine has on the people's mindset of energy security. Yeah, And talking about uh, nuclear power generation, uh, that accounts for 6% of total energy in Japan. But the uh, Kishida administration is going to steadily promote innovative nuclear energy, such as small modular reactors and fast breed reactors. Uh, and for example, uh, IHI, a Japanese heavy industry manufacturer, has invested in New Scale Power. That is a U.S. Uh, company that uh, develops SMRs and plans to begin operating SMRs by 2029. It's very interesting because talking about small modular reactors, fast speed reactors is also something that uh, we've been hearing about in this country. And, and I guess maybe one of the, the ways in which countries around the world uh, change their energy dependency. So we, we've covered so many issues, but one that we have not touched on, which is uh, so important, and particularly we're talking to uh, an East Asian democratic country, we have to talk about China. Of course, China is also proving to be a challenging and potentially aggressive neighbor for, for Japan. So how does the Russia-Ukraine crisis affect Japan's delicate relations with China? Yeah, I think it's very pertinent to touch upon China, and this is uh, uh, an elephant in the room, so to speak. Yeah. So generally speaking, China and Russia have been maintaining very cordial and uh, close relations in recent years. Uh, in the summit meeting, which took place on the eve of the Beijing Olympic Games in February, uh, the two leaders adopted a communique in which they opposed NATO's uh, expansion. Uh, military cooperation between the two countries has also become uh, close, including a series of exercises around Japan, such as joint navigation drills and joint flights. So how will Russo-Chinese relations be impacted by the war in Ukraine? Uh, or what implications the war will have on the issue of the Taiwan Strait are, I would say, uh, multi-trillion dollar questions. Yeah. And they are subjects for political analysts and students of international relations, and not something spokesperson like me can answer with definitiveness. So I will just say two things. Uh, first, we need to closely monitor the state of Sino-Russian uh, relations. Uh, 
some media used to call the relationship a marriage of convenience yeah. and how that will evolve during and after the Russian aggression in Ukraine is something we need to keep an eye on. Uh, and second, slightly related to this, is that we don't want ourselves as well as other countries uh, create a loophole for sanctions against Russia. Yeah. We all don't want to see uh, our business withdrawal from Russia is backfilled by enterprises of a particular country. This is why we want China to be on the same boat with us, along with other issues. Uh, and we will certainly demand responsible actions coming from Beijing. Uh, so um, I believe that it is time that the uh, international community showed a tolerable level of uh, solidarity in order to fully defend the foundation of the international order. And that is what we should aim for. And uh, by the way, this year marks the 50th anniversary since the normalization of the Japan-China relations in uh, 1972. Much as we want to celebrate the occasion, we will have to see how it goes. Uh, and another thing that I wish to add in this context is that the、uh, Prime Minister is talking about the need to upgrade capitalism、yeah. in response to the challenges from authoritarian regimes. Which are increasingly gaining momentum because of state capitalism. Yeah. There's a name for it.、Uh, it it's called、um, a new form of capitalism. This is the name、uh, my prime minister gave to the policy package. And he's going to put in place、uh, economic policies such as promotion of startups、uh, and investing in、uh, human resources, which could make capitalism to be more sustainable. Yeah. This kind of focus, I think, will be a very pertinent one. Uh, in light of Russian aggression in Ukraine. And Japan will try to rectify、uh, the somewhat damaged、uh, international order from、uh, this kind of you know, uh, uh, economic point of view. Yeah, well, I think that's a very interesting point to finish on because, again, just as Japan is seeing a world in which authoritarianism seems to have a, a kind of dynamism pushing it forward, of course, democratic countries need to improve. Uh, their own deal, you know, the, the offer to ordinary people. You know, here in, in, in the UK, we're facing what people are calling a cost of living crisis because of energy prices going up and other aspects of the cost of living. And once again,、uh, it, it's important that we can show that, that living in a democracy is a better deal than, than living in an authoritarian country. Exactly. That's exactly my point. And that's uh, uh, my, my prime minister will not agree with you more. Well, I'm, I'm in good company then.、Um, <laughs> so, thank you so much,、uh, Koichiro Matsumoto, for、uh, joining us today. It's a real privilege for us to have an access to somebody right at the top of the Japanese administration. And you've given us a really interesting perspective on this global issue. Well,、uh, once friends, friends forever. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Martha. We hope you find these war bulletins valuable amongst the huge amount of information out there. So don't forget to subscribe and help spread the word by rating us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other app that has ratings. And if you really like the show, you can support us on the crowdfunding app Patreon. You'll get the shows early, ad free, and help shape future episodes, all from as little as £3 per month. Just search Patreon Doomsday Watch. Or follow the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.